Hello. This is Let's Talk Diaspora, and we are on episode eight, and we're discussing the topic of what is an unreached people group. Yeah, Rebecca, this is this is a topic of great importance and a lot of contention around the idea. There's people in different camps that want to talk about it in different ways. And so our goal in this episode is to define it. Um, in, future, in a future episode, we'll talk about the history behind it, but just define it. What is it? Why is it important? And why do some people think it's not a great idea to think about missions in this way? So Rebecca, whenever you think of an unreached people group, before we get to the actual definition, what what comes to mind whenever you think unreached people group? Um, well, for what, what comes to my mind is um, living overseas in a very dark place. Um, very, and I say dark because there's just very little, if none, really. I've been to places where there's no presence of um, a church building, um, Christians, as you would say, um, or any kind of Jesus talk of any kind. So for me, when I think of an unreached people group, that's where my mind tends to go. Yeah. So a place that's dark, but again, we're talking about people. And so it often gets convoluted between peoples and places, Mm. right? So you think of a place of being unreached and we think of areas of the world that we consider unreached. And and oftentimes the term that goes with that is the 1040 window. So for a season you lived in the 1040 window, that's where we say it's the most gospel deprived areas of the world, but we're talking about geography. But the topic today is unreached people groups. So we have to, we have to think about, yes, there's unreached places, but there's also unreached peoples. And so if I could maybe just give, An example. So the country of Nigeria has a strong and vibrant church, but it doesn't touch every single ethno-linguistic group. There's hundreds of languages spoken in the country of Nigeria. Uh, Nigeria does have a large Christian contingency, but it also has a large Muslim contingency. And so the Nigerian Christians are a different people group than the Nigerian Muslims. And that's dividing over religion. But even amongst that, there's languages and ethnicity and cultural differences that provides that distinction between them. So when we think of certain countries that may be reached because they have a church building, there's a a public expression, really what the, the unreached people group thought helps us do is look at those areas and say, the task isn't completed there. And then looking at places in the 1040 window and helping say, okay, when when we see the gospel break out in, for example, the Middle East or South Asia, we don't want to overlook every nation, every ethnicity, every language, every tribe, because what we understand through, this is really a sociological experiment that the gospel doesn't like to cross language, race, ethnicity, boundaries as it spreads. And so just because the gospel takes root among one people in a place doesn't mean it's going, it's going to saturate the entire geography. Are you, are you following Rebecca? 
I think I'm following because I mean, I can, um, what I hear you saying, I mean, even though there might be in a geographical location, um, I think of India as well. Um, there, there are a lot of people and in my mind, in my Western context of living in the United States, I think, well, all of those people should get along and know who each other are and um, do the same things. And, but really what I'm hearing you say, it's not just the geographical location, but it's the people themselves that don't, um, kind of see things the same way, um, do things the same way, may not even have any kind of relationships with each other. Yeah. India is, is a great example. So I have a friend that, that works with Indians in the diaspora and he does a lot of training and I've benefited from this brother, just learning from him. He lived in India for several years. Now he's working with Indians in the United States, but he says, we, we have to think of India like the European Union. Like our idea of nation states is our experience. United States, everyone speaks English. Uh, everyone has a similar worldview, even though that's 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 getting more diverse. There's a similar baseline worldview that we're we're based on guilt, innocence. But he says in India, there's different regions that speak different languages. There's different religions, and so when we think of the European Union, oh, we know that these different countries have different cultures. The French speak a different language than the than Spain, and you know Portugal speaks a different language than Bosnia, and there's different religious makeup. Well, that's kind of how India is. And if we look at it from just a nation state perspective, just because we have a church in London means all of Europe is reached, <laughs> which we know that is that that is not true, and so it just helps helps divide the the task into manageable pieces, but it helps us to, to gauge progress. And, you know, I just said a word that that's, that's kind of, people will op, uh, oppose this idea of people group thought mm -hmm. because it says that we are dividing when Christ wants us unified. But the purpose of people group thought isn't to divide the church. It's to unite the church to divide and this to divide the task of evangelism, disciple making, and church planting. Yes, as people mature in Christ, the likelihood of them being more open to other people coming into their fellowship grows. But a brand new believer or someone who's not a believer, we want to take out all the barriers that we can. You think of Paul saying he wanted to become the Jew to the Jews, the 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 Greek to the Greeks. And that's, that's really what people group thought is saying is we want to laser focus to culture, language, you know, this ethno-linguistic idea for evangelism and disciple making and church planting. And then as the church matures, we, we point their eyes then to the nations and saying, no, it's not just about the Quechua people. It's not just about this or that people group. It's about all the nations for the glory of Christ. But how do we get there? And what, what I believe, and many missiologists have, have followed and said, this, this, is, this is not just a sociological experiment. It's actually rooted in the scriptures. Hmm. It's, it's the heart of God. And, and I think in missiology, we can, we can get in one of two ditches, is we overemphasize the sociological aspect of research and anthropology, and we, we discard the scripture. The other is we're, uh, we're so close-minded on on what the scripture says without any input 
from sociology or anthropology that we overlook what God is doing. And I think the middle of the road, it's like the uncomfortable middle is where we always want to be. It's more comfortable to get in our ditch and get in our, our, our silos and our echo chambers and hear what everyone's saying just like us. But I think what we have to do is we have to operate in this, this middle of the road where we're hearing both sides and we're being pulled and we're saying we want to be true to scripture, but we want to see what God is doing. And, and the idea is, is God is the one who created all of these nations. It's the Tower of Babel. Like God is the one who did it. Like it's not our idea. We're just observing what God has done and how people have differentiated themselves and saying that, like it says in Ephesians, Christ is uniting all things in heaven and earth. But how do we best unite all things in under the Lordship of Christ? It is by saying as an individual, as a missions organization, as a church, as a missionary team, we're going to focus on this strategic unreached people group. Does that, does that kind of address some of the, the issues you've heard, Rebecca? What are some other issues? And then we'll get to the definition because I think that's the thing we want we want to not emphasize, but make sure that we communicate. What what exactly is that? But before we do that, Rebecca, what, what are some thoughts? Well, I mean, the first thought I had too is what I'm constantly seeing in God, um, his creativity. I think we can get, especially in our world today, we can get very caught up in one way or the other, black or white. But what I hear you saying, it's really a both and, and there's that in between, and let's make sure that we're covering both aspects. Um, but also as you're sharing, I was thinking just recently, I was um, sharing with a friend, um, talking about unreached people groups, um, and she made a comment to me. Um, I don't know that it was a question. Well, maybe it was a question because it's something that she's just really been chewing on herself and praying over. She's having a hard time really recognizing that God could have cre- have peoples that he's created that have had no chance to hear about him that are dying without him. Um, and she's really just struggling with thinking about that. Um, and again, whether they be in a particular place or um, just among a particular group of people, um, she was having a struggles, you know, with that concept, which took me back to the Tower of Babel and thinking through, you know, when did all of this begin and going back to scripture you know, but I don't think it's something that in my thoughts, it's not something that God has done. Um, I don't believe he wants to send people to um, hell or send for people not to know who he is. I think he's given his himself all over. There's a scripture. Um, I can't remember the reference right offhand that talks about, you know, he is present. He is present within people in geographical places. But I do believe that sin issue <laughs> has caused um, these peoples and places um, to not have um, his name being proclaimed to them. And that's why it's important for us to be proclaiming his name as well as, you know, doing um, living out his name in actions. <laughs> yeah, that is that is a challenging question. And I, I don't know that theologians have been able to answer that. Uh, I think with the answers that I have seen ends up in one extreme or the other. And again, it comes down to this middle of the road mm. where we're, we're holding two extremes in hand because scripture gives us those two extremes, right? Where the scripture gives us clarity, 
we walk in that clarity and where there's ambigu ambigu oh man how do you even say that word <laughs> help, help me out ambiguity oh now oh, I, I, I you got <laughs> ambiguity you, you <laughs> yeah you 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 caught it as well so yeah am ambiguity ambiguity yes ambiguity. we got to say the you <laughs> yes and so where there where there is that we we have to walk in the tension of both of those but what comes to mind and maybe this is what you were referencing this is what i believe is in romans 1 it, it talks about that how god has has revealed um his invisible qualities his his mm -hmm. eternal power and divine nature so they have no excuse for not knowing god they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give them thanks. And so I think the practical implications of that with an unreached people group is what I truly believe is if a person takes the revelation that God has given them through natural revelation, his, his power and eternal characteristics, that if they truly are seeking him, he will provide the means yeah. to come to a saving faith in Christ whether that be a track that blows across the ocean and into their hand, if it's a missionary going, if it is, if we're talking about diaspora, if it is God moving someone from the 1040 window to the United States, mm -hmm. God, God is moving people in every direction. He's given us the printing press so that we can uh, print and distribute Bibles and tracks so that people may know. And then he's given us this digital printing press called the internet where people, if they just say, oh, who, who is this creator God? They can, they can Google it and they could come to know Christ just through Googling and reading scripture and reading, uh, you know, just how a person could come and know Jesus. Like I see in the scripture, every single instance of someone coming to faith in the scriptures, and, and I'm open, I'm always open to correction, but this is my reading that God always used a human agent. Mm. I don't want to limit God in saying that he always uses a human agent, but from our example from scripture, there's always a human agent. And that may be me or you going someplace. That may be someone coming here, but also too, that may be through the printing and distribution of Bibles. That is a human agent. If a Bible gets into the hand of an unreached people group and it's in their language and they can read it, they can come to know Christ. But it's always through a human agent from what, what I see. Hmm. So that is, a, that is a challenging question. But what I believe is if, you, if we understand the characteristics of God, that he is a loving and just God, he just means he's, he's not unfair, right? But we have, to count, we have to count in the idea that people are sinners. They are born into a sinful state. And as he gives them revelation, it's how do they respond to that revelation? Do they reject it or they desire more? And I believe with all that I am, if they desire more, he provides the way to get it. Mm -hmm. God has brought millions of unreached people groups to North America. But who are the people? Where do they live? What are they like? And how can they be reached with the gospel? What if there was a, a resource to answer those questions and more? There is. UPG North America was developed to be a voice to and a resource for the body of Christ. UPGNorthAmerica.com is an organizational neutral website where we have contributors from various individuals, churches, and organizations. And perhaps you have a part to play in contributing content, research, or your technical expertise. 
to see all UPG communities seen, prayed for, and engaged with gospel workers. Go to upgnorthamerica.com for more information. Even here in the States, going into a Hindu temple or, um, you know, overseas going and hanging out with um, someone from a Muslim background, I, I see their heart to know God more, you know, and I, I, I'm, I am a true believer just like you. Um, but if they truly are going with all of their heart and all that they are, um, God's going to reveal himself. I haven't thought so much about the human agent part, but I think about the dreams Muslims come to you know Christ. A lot of times God has begun to speak through the, to them through dreams, but it's uh, all, all my stories have always had a human agent um, testimony of somebody giving them a track or giving them um, the scripture or saying a word to them. Um, even that aspect, um, I think, those are the stories I have. <laughs> yeah, the, the stories of dreams and visions, you know, you think think of um, oftentimes where I get pushed back on that idea is with, with the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road. Mm. And so then you just have to like start splitting hairs of, okay, when, when, when did he receive the Holy Spirit? And it wasn't on the Damascus Road. He had to go somewhere, right? right? He had to connect. And oftentimes with dreams and visions with their Muslim friends, it's, it's one of two things. It's they have a dream about a man in white and then God brings a Christian into their life. And either they ask, Hey, have you had any holy dreams lately? Or they say, Hey, I had a dream about a man in white or it's a dream about a book. And then they find the book. Like this is the same book that was in my dream. But if it's a book, a man had to print it. And so again, to the best of my understanding, God is using human agents. And what that should do is it should give us this idea of, man, God wants to use us. Mm. He he could choose to 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 rig it so like, hey, everyone has an opportunity. He's going to ride it in the sky. But he he is after people with a pure heart who want to worship him. So people who are rejecting general revelation, who are not like, I I do believe that if they've rejected what is given to them, that no more will come. Mm-hmm. Maybe more chances. I I don't know. But those who are truly seeking, he says, oh, that's that's a good worshiper. Mm. And that's what God is doing. Is he's, he's gathering worshipers from all languages, nations, peoples, tongues, and tribes. And so maybe that, that's a good transition point for us to provide just some definitions. Mm-hmm. Uh, because some people like the talk, because this is a conversation. Where we get in trouble is where we, we write a definition and then we're inflexible about the definition. And so for me, yes, I operate from a definition, but we, we, we have to remain flexible. And uh, as I describe the definitions, Rebecca, you can, you can poke holes in it and say, but what if, because then we can say, oh, we need to be flexible perhaps. So first, the first definition we need to talk about is what is a people group? So if we're going to talk about an unreached people group, what is a people group? A people group, by definition, is an ethno-linguistic group that share a common language and cultural identity. So for kind of missiological strategic purposes, a people group is the largest group within which the gospel can spread without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. And those are kind of key words, without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. So uh, if I could just give an example of that. 
a barrier of understanding would be, we talked about India. So there are Christians, Hindus, and Muslims in India. The largest group are Hindus, followed by Muslims and then Christians. Muslims and Christians who speak the same language actually don't speak the same language because they use different religious terms. And so if a Hindu comes to faith, let's say, for example, and they speak Bangla and West Bengal, and then they try sharing from their worldview with a Muslim in the same village, there's a barrier of understanding because they're like, you're using words that I don't, I don't use. It's not that they don't understand them, but they would say, oh, that's the Hindu God name. We're like, no, we're talking about the creator God. And the Muslim's like, no, that's Allah. And so there's, there's immediately this barrier of understanding and acceptance because in the mind of the Muslim, and it could be flipped the other way, I have to become a Hindu to follow Jesus. And so that's just an example where there's an encounter, uh, there's an, an encounter that creates a barrier of understanding or acceptance. Now, we try to define people groups as missiologists, Westerners, but ultimately it's the individual groups who decide that they're a people group, right? Yeah. Uh, we try to put people in a box, but this is the part where we have to be flexible because a people group sees themselves as a group because there are people that are we and us, and there are also people who are they or them. Mm-hmm. But what we can do as outsiders is we can just observe how they are identifying. So if we've not done the work to observe and research a people group, we could get it wrong, right? Because ultimately they define who their we is, and all we can do is observe that. And so this gets really messy in the diaspora, and we'll talk more about that in another episode. But that's the idea of a people group. Shared language, religion, cultural identity. They decide who's we, and they decide who's they. All we can do is observe that. Any pushback on our definition of a people group? Um, no. I, th- I think more my my where I get into more of the where I have controversy or people having pushback is when we start talking about that next definition of an unreached people group. I think I've kind of got that um, people group. um, Cause even I I guess in my mind, I think about here in the States in the, in a Western context, what would be a different people group? I mean, we've heard language. So if they speak a different language, so um, my brothers and sisters from Mexico that speak Spanish um, would be in a different people group than me. Um, but I'm also hearing it's also those us versus them um, kind of. So what would this be an example of a people group? Maybe a motor, somebody that is more in a motorcycle club and hangs out and does things on motorcycles. Are they a we? Are they, you know, compared to myself? I guess yeah. that, even we get to that simple. That's, that's a great question. So I, I would say for a people group definition, that is not a different people group. But uh, when we talk about the history behind this in another episode, we're going we're to talk about a guy named Ralph Winter. Ralph Winter uh, preferred, it's kind of in addition to people group thought or people group definition is the term Unimax. 
And the Unimax was really what he encouraged missionaries to use as defining their focus. What you just described would be considered a Unimax. What is the unified maximum number of people that the gospel can be impacted and spread through rapidly? Right. So even though the motorcycle club also, you know, a guy probably works at Home Depot and rides a motorcycle on the weekends, the gospel is going to most quickly spread through his areas of influence where they have shared language, shared habits. And if that is, if he primarily identifies as, hey, I'm, you know, pick the motorcycle club, I'm a, I'm a rough rider, whatever it is, um, fallen angel. What's a cool motorcycle name, right? Uh, and if that's how he identifies, that would be a very strategic engagement point if someone said they're unreached, mm-hmm. right? So then that, that leads us to the next, the next definition, unreached. You add that to the people group thought. So remember people group thought, unreached people group is a people group where there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize this group without without outside assistance. So I, I just read that. So what, what is it, exactly does that mean? So that means if there's a people group of 10 million and there's four believers, there's not enough adequate numbers and resources to evangelize the whole people group without outside assistance. They need someone to help them do that. The, the inverse of that is if you have a country that is uh, 70% Christian adherent, Christian adherent means it could be a non-evangelical or Protestant denomination. It could include Orthodox or Catholicism, which I believe there are Orthodox and Catholic brothers and sisters, but there's also a lot who, who are just religious and lost. Mm-hmm. But if a country has that or a people group has 70% of that makeup and they have five or 10% evangelical or Protestant, they have enough resources. They have enough people to evangelize all of it. So that that's kind of the differentiation. And there's been various percentages because especially this comes from Westerners. This does not come from, you know, the global South. It comes from, you know, United States, Canada, Western Europe. We want to put a number on it. We're like, okay, well, we need to very clearly define what that is. There's been a lot of numbers in the history of people group thought. What's kind of been the consensus for the last couple of decades is a people group is considered unreached when the group is less than 2% evangelical and less than 5% Christian adherent. So remember, Christian adherent means Catholic, Orthodox, um, evangelical would be Bible-believing, born-again believers. So that's the definition on unreached people group. There's about 7,000 unreached people groups in the world. From a population perspective, 42% approximately uh, of the world's population is part of an unreached people group. 42% of the entire world's population lives in a people group that's considered unreached. So what I don't like happening, and this is kind of what we're doing, but we want to point someone to something what we don't like happening is people spending all their time arguing and discussing, oh, is it 2%? Is it 5%? Is it 3%? Oh, is it 1%? Oh, we need to prioritize this or we don't need to. We, we just need brothers and sisters in Christ to get to work for the glory of God among the unreached. Because the, the key word that I like to press in on on the unreached is the word access. 
These people groups, we've talked about people in place. These people groups live in a place or in a way where they lack access to the gospel in their language and their culture. And so even in the diaspora, we have unreached people groups. Why? Because they live in a way that there's no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize the group. If we go back to the definition, it's about access. They don't have access to a Bible-believing church. They don't have access to the gospel. Because we have to remember the gospel is not just, it is, but it's not just repentance and faith in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins through Christ, his life, death, burial, and resurrection. But Christ established his church. The gospel is also a place to belong. It's it's a family. It's the family of God and the kingdom of God. And these local expressions are of like highest priority, seeing local expressions of indigenous believers gathering together. That's why unreached people groups are important. Well, it's kind of hard for me to um, counter with some questions and things because my heart and my passion are so much about this. Um, and I'll, I just kind of want to give this plug to my heart and passion for unreached people groups. And a lot of what we've, we're talking about today um, God began to work in my life through a course called Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. I think it's the most thorough of the courses that can, it's an educational course to teach you the biblical, the historical, the cultural, the strategic, all of those things that God has been doing um, through unreached people groups and through the church to reach unreached people groups. Um and so anyway, my heart comes from that. So to counter, but I will try, to, I was trying to think of some questions, you know, that people, but do, can you think of some questions that people sometimes will um, come across when you're talking about this unreached people group? Yeah, I think, so personally, I believe that the church, not every church, but the church as a whole should prioritize evangelism, disciple making and church planning among the unreached. So again, that's coming, my, my view is a little skewed because that that's what I've given my life to. But the reason why I've given my life to is because I'm convinced of that from the scripture. Mm-hmm. Because if we, if we understand just the redemptive thread throughout all of scripture and what God is accomplishing in Revelation, like his heart is for the nations. And when, when you see nations in the Bible, uh, especially in the New Testament, it's it's a Greek phrase, uh, ethne, where we get our word ethnicity. So it's not about nation states. God's heart is for every people, every people group. We think of in the beginning, God created people in a garden to be with him and worship him and obey him. And we know what happened with the fall, the Tower of Babel, the flood, the promise of God blessing all the nations through Abraham, coming to Christ and his commission to go make disciples of all nations, the Pontata Ethne in Matthew 28. It's all the nations. And if we understand nations, well, maybe you don't understand nations. It's, it's more than geographic areas. Mm-hmm. And then in Revelation 5, 9 and 7, 9, John even gives us a little expansion. What, is, what does he mean by nations? It's every language, tongue, and tribe. You know, a tribe is, is smaller 
but it's it's unique and it's different. And when we think of worshiping the lamb on his throne in Revelation for eternity, and he says there's a multitude from every nation, language, tongue, and tribe. It's this mosaic. It's this beautiful offering to Christ our King. And right now, to the best of our knowledge, it's not sufficiently there yet. In Matthew 24, 14, and I don't believe this is a switch we flip. God, God is the, the, the flipper of switches, right? But Matthew 24, 14, he says that the gospel of this kingdom will be proclaimed to all nations, and then the end will come. And so if you are just yearning for the end, to be in the presence of Jesus, for this world to be renewed, to be in the new Jerusalem, what else could you give your life to except evangelism, disciple making, and church planning among the nations? Because if you want to give your life to anything that is promised to succeed, I don't know anything else that we have such a concrete promise that God is a God who desires and deserves the worship, and he is accomplishing it. He's using human agents. So we can disagree on priority, unreached people groups, but can we give our lives to making Jesus known among the nations, Pontitai ethne, the nations? That's what unreached people groups are about. And there's so much more we could talk about that people disagree about. But really, I just want to take Rebecca's point and just emphasize that if you're like, I want to learn more about this, this is new. Perspectives is a great course to go through. There's other courses that that do that as well, but maybe you don't have time for a course. Just go and read through your Bible this year with your eye on how God loves the nations. Peoples, nations, languages. <laughs> Yes. And then watch the news and look and see how broken the world is and how Christ is the only remedy. And if God doesn't stir in your heart, oh, I, I want to be used by God for his glory among the nations, then God has something else for you. But we just feel like there's not enough people giving their life to this, that, that God is moving in places and among people. And you talk to the believers and the missionaries there, and all they want is like, oh, we need more people to help. God is doing amazing things. And so maybe God is calling you to give your life. And, and maybe you don't have the capacity to move right now. God has brought the nations to North America. He's brought them to Europe. He's brought them to global cities throughout the world. Urbanization is, is what God is doing to bring the nations to us. And church, church leader, believer, brother, sister, how are you going to respond? Amen. So thank you for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Diaspora. To help us out, hit the subscribe button so that you will be notified when future episodes launch. This season is sponsored by UPG North America. Go to upgnorthamerica.com for more information.